This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth. Hi, I'm Lale Arikoglu, and welcome to a new episode of Women Who Travel. My guest today is none other than Gabrielle Union, an actor who's been gracing our screens since the 90s, starring in movies like Bring It On, 10 Things I Hate About You, Love and Basketball, The Inspection, and so much more. Now, she's celebrating a milestone birthday with a new docuseries, Gabrielle Union, My Journey to 50, a two-part special on BET+. It was like nothing I've ever experienced and beyond what I had hoped to experience for my birthday. Over the course of two episodes, Gabrielle travels to Zanzibar, Tanzania, the coast of Ghana, Atosha National Park in Namibia, and Cape Town. The trip to her felt like a homecoming. It feels like being welcomed home after being forced away. It is a part of our resilience and our survival as a people. You know, Africans who are now across the diaspora, it's that feeling of home, of being seen truly and being understood truly that is priceless. Gabrielle traveled with her almost four-year-old daughter, Kavia, mum, Teresa, and her husband, former NBA star Dwayne Wade, as well as a revolving group of extended family and friends. I assumed no one would be able to take off work. No one would be able to use their vacation days. It's expensive. It's an, you know, it's an expensive trip. Even if you plan it, you know, a year in advance, it's still, you know, expensive. Um, But I liked how scrappy my friends are. Like, we will find a deal. We will use our points and miles and, like, my husband's points and miles. It allowed us to extend this trip to other people who might otherwise not be able to afford it. So, um, but yeah, I just wanted as many people to experience the joys and the peace that that I experience whenever I'm on the continent. Okay, so I want to get all into how on earth you managed to wrangle all your family and friends to come with you on that trip, because that is no small feat. I mean, it sounded like everyone was game, right? No one really oh, needed yeah. any persuading. No, not at all. Like anyone who would need persuading is probably not my friend. How many of you were there? Um, the most that it was was in Tanzania. And then as we hit different countries, the number shrank. Basically, each country, we yeah. would lose a couple people. Um, but it was way more than like a handful, that, which is what I had anticipated. From what I understand, you'd already been many times before, right? You knew 
the continent of Africa somewhat um, and had done some traveling around it. Yes, yes. I had been to uh, South Africa a few times. I had been to Ghana before, Egypt, uh, Tanzania before. Um, and I was just trying to recreate the peace that I had felt in those countries before. And also just I wanted to explore. And I knew that the more I learned about the continent, the more I would be learning about myself. You know, I consider Africa the birthplace of civilization, which I believe is backed up by science and, you know, facts and stuff. So the more you learn about Africa, the more you are really learning about yourself. And if you are lucky enough to know the specifics of where you are from, which many African-Americans and, and Black folks across the diaspora do not due to the horrors of, of slavery, coming back, we just, a lot of us say, oh, we just want to go back to Africa. But we don't know specifically where. You know, a, a lot of us don't know that Africa is a continent, not a country, and that, you know, to explore the continent, you have to embrace, you know, the different countries and the different peoples. So it was it was really important for me to to visit new countries that I had never been before, and then also be part tour guide and be able to host my family and friends in countries I have been to before. Did you just have a map and start dropping pins on it? Like how how did you how did you figure it out? I was open, you know, so I turned to social media. I turned to, you know, my friends and I started asking questions and I just started paying attention to different um, travel sites like Black Girls Travel, you know, looking at different, you know, TikToks and Instagrams and just seeing what, you know, other possibilities were. And was it even feasible with as many people as I had? So I knew I wanted to take my mom and daughter to South Africa, my husband to South Africa. My husband had not traveled as extensively throughout Africa as I had. So I knew I wanted to have a couple things that I'd been to before, but a couple things that we were all going to be, you know, equally as astonished by. My friend Lewis Hamilton last year took a trip similar to mine throughout different countries in Africa in the search of self. And one of those stops was Namibia. Gabrielle is referring to the British Formula One driver, Lewis Hamilton. And he wasn't exaggerating about the impact Namibia's spectacular landscape can have on visitors. When he had reached the red dunes of Namibia, I had hit him. I was like, yo, where are you? Is this like one of the seven wonders of the world? And he was like, no, but it should be. Um, he's like, you have to come. I promise you will leave different. And and I knew Lewis had been on a different quest for self, and he had emerged different and, and more profound and more at peace. And I, I wanted some of that. We are absolutely lied to in our country um, about history that is any kind of brown person's history. The people who decide what we learn have never decided that African history or Asian history or um, Middle Eastern history, none of that has they've ever deemed important enough for Americans to learn. So when we travel to these countries, we are woefully ignorant. We have been sold a bill of goods and none of it is accurate. And so it's important to sit at the feet of those teachers um, and that's what you see us doing throughout. So the learning collectively was important. But also as we as you're learning about each country, you're picking up pieces of yourself. When you talk about the erased history and the lack of education that takes place in America, did it feel important as a mother to be taking your daughter there? And, you know, she's so young to to actually start to tell her about her history and her heritage now. Absolutely. It's never too young to be educated. 
Um, it's never too young to to look out and see seas of people that look like you. That that education has to start from the cradle all the way through the grave. And that's exactly what my mom did. And so her education was always sort of butting up against what I was learning in school. And then she was like, you, you know, you should learn how to do this research on your own. And I had to learn how to use encyclopedias. And this was before, you know, back when we had the Dewey Decibel System. Um, I had to <laughs> learn, you know, how to use the library resources and um, how to sit at the feet of our elders and to listen and to ask, you know, questions that lead to more conversation. My mom, she's never given up that thirst. So watching her transform throughout the course of, you know, the two episodes is just as powerful. You decided to film it all and document this journey. What did you set out to accomplish? Was it just that finding a sense of peace or was there another form of transformation or was it just family bonding and togetherness and learning about this history together as a unit? Well, it's all of the above, right? For me personally, I had had a year and a half of artistic turmoil in a sense that where I had to go to bring certain characters to life uh, in inspection and truth be told, it sent me sort of spiraling into a kind of my own personal hell. And it kind of turned me to dust. I, there weren't even pieces to kind of put back together. In The Inspection, a movie which came out in November last year, Gabrielle plays the estranged mother of a gay Marine. And in Truth Be Told, an Apple TV series, she's a school principal helping investigate cases surrounding black girls who are assaulted or missing. She spoke of how filming triggered memories of her own assault. It was probably the lowest I have ever felt in life. And it coincided with the 30th anniversary of my rape at 19. So coming through that, by the time my birthday rolled around, I needed a lifeline. I needed my friends. I needed my family. I needed my man. I needed my children to help, to help. Um, I don't need people necessarily to put me back together, but lead me to the water. You know what I mean? Or at least understand that I'm not okay right now. And I knew that when that plane landed in Tanzania, that I would feel like I was home. And once you feel like you're home, everything is on the table. And my peace was starting to be restored. After the break, Gabrielle takes us to Ghana, where she and her family visit the Asin Manso River, the site of the Salaga slave market, and the Memorial Wall of Return. Hi, I'm Deborah Treisman, fiction editor of The New Yorker. Each week on the Writer's Voice podcast, New Yorker fiction writers read their newly published stories from the magazine. You can hear from authors like Colson Whitehead. Turner nudged Elwood, who had a look of horror on his face. They saw it. Griff wasn't going down. He was going to go for it, no matter what happened after. Or Joy Williams. Her father was silent. Slowly, he passed his hand over his hair. This usually meant that he was traveling to a place immune to her presence, a place that indeed contradicted her presence. She might as well go to lunch. 
Listen to new stories or dive into our archive of great fiction. You can find the work of your favorite fiction writers and discover new ones. Listen and follow The Writer's Voice wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to level up? For me, it's my hiking boots, which have gotten me over some pretty tough terrain. And I'm not talking about my morning commute on the New York City subway. They've pushed me to go to far-off places like trekking in the remote mountains in Patagonia, wildlife spotting amid the thick rainforest of the Amazon, and climbing through canyons in the Utah desert. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. There's an available panorama glass roof, 33-inch all-terrain tires, and multi-terrain select driving modes. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior means that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth. You speak so candidly about your own trauma, but, you know, a large part of, especially when you're in Ghana and in West Africa, is visiting sites of great collective trauma. There's some amazing scenes where you're all at the Asinmanso River site, which has such a dark history as a place where African people passed through before they were sold into slavery. Tell me a little bit about that day and that portion of the trip, because even just to watch it was really, I mean, it really floored me. So much had been lost on the march. So much had been lost in that river. The walk to the river that was equivalent to New York to to Miami. By foot, chained together. They shoved leaves and flora and fauna and dirt into the mouths of mothers to stop them from crying and screaming out for their children. So by the time they were taken to the river to get cleaned up for auction, many didn't make it out of the river. Many children didn't make it out of the river. And when you see us in in the river, praying to, paying homage to, asking for guidance from the ancestors. And you see each person receive it. That alone is powerful. Out of clear blue sky, a downpour. It was confirmation to me Oshun is a very powerful God. 
when the brains came down, I was like, I hear you. Okay, no more hedging my bets. No more half-assing it, even in prayer. And I just got the biggest smile and the most peace I've ever had in my life. Dwayne's experience in the river, what I saw was a man taking in the enormity of our collective history as African peoples and how closely it related to his experience. This man is very proud of who he is and where he came from, and he has changed in the most beautiful way. Watching my husband emerge from that river when he screams and has his arms outstretched, and then the skies open up, I was like, okay, all right, I don't need any more signs. You're like, the weather, I got it. bit on the nose. <laughs> yep, I got it, I got it, I got it. But yeah, we, we were saying that when we left that river, that was our superhero origin story. And we had taken the power out of our own hands by allowing other people to take the power out of our own hands. And we just reclaimed it. And then going from the river to the slave dungeons and going into the, the different dungeons and hearing about what was happening you can feel it. You can absolutely feel it. You can feel the terror. You can feel the confusion. You can feel the rage. You can feel the plans of survival. It was, yeah, that part of the trip. If one day my story is told, that's where it began again. And I, I, hope, I hope more people experience it and allow themselves to be taken by it, to be led to who you really are. There's something that your guide says, I think when you're at the river, where he, uh, you know, warns you not to try and process it all at once. Did you find yourself processing it as an individual, or were you processing it together as a family? Individually, because I think just physically we're kind of spread out on uh, around the rocks and Dee was like physically like in the river. So we were a bit spread out and Kav and Kavya didn't go uh, to on that part. And it, it's interesting because like it wasn't until I could see the edit because there were different cameras around with different people that I could see what it looked like for different people. Just the physical transformation and then square that with, you know, the conversations on the bus ride between the river and the slave dungeon. And then the three-hour ride back home, it all just happened so organically, which is why I think it's so powerful. Because you can't force that. Like, it would look forced. It would look insane. But it was so beautiful. It was so beautiful. All of you, I think, received your Ghanaian names while you mm -hmm. were there. Mm -hmm. What did that mean to you? And what did that mean to Dwayne? That must have been an incredible experience. Yeah, like to get my name, you know, Akosia, Safwa, and to hear what it meant, you know, Sunday born and the key. And uh, Dee's name, um, Kwesi Safo. He got his tattooed on him um, when we were in South Africa. It's just like claiming your fullness. I walk different. Like, I'm 
I'm more open to love than I've ever been. Like, I'm one of those people that it, I can sniff out the BS. Like, I, I live to sniff it out. But being in that state at all times just doesn't leave a lot of room for anything else. So that shift, we're still feeling the, the reverberations from that shift of just receiving our names to be given that connection, that real connection to this place that, you know, West Africa. So as my first official act, Gabrielle, I'll start with you. Akosia Safwa. Akosia Safwa. So Gabrielle, we'd like to adorn you with some traditional fabrics as well. So Safwa is connected to the root word Safe, which is key. It's the person that opens up things for everybody else. The second he said that, I just became so emotional because in my family, I have had to be a literal key to unlock education, housing, protection, justice, to unlock the world. Open doors, darling, open doors. Open Woo! Doors. As the open key. Open doors, yes. Here is our queen. It just feels like this is my first and best birthday, you know, as a fully formed human being. And somebody sees all of me, and this group of people is celebrating my fullness. Unreal. When you have these milestone birthdays, you do hope to, I don't know, like, figure out who you are. Like, you're supposed to, you're always supposed to know who you are when you hit these milestones. And it sounds like this trip and this birthday really did take you to a new place in terms of your own relation to yourself. You say that you describe Ghana as the first bridge that we cross as African-Americans into West Africa. What did it feel like to arrive on that soil and um, start to travel around there with your family? Mm. Sankofa. It is the return. I don't exactly know how to describe the, the expansive nature of, of your heart, that transformation. Like, it just fills up your whole chest to be welcomed in and, and not forced to, to uh, think that African-American culture is somehow less than or whatever. That is priceless. It's like if, if someone said, you can never go home again. You'll never see your parents. You can never see, like, your language, that's gone. Food, like, you're nothing. But then you return defiantly, and you are met with family. And you are met with home. You are met with language. You are met with culture. You are met, and it just feels like you're a full human being. I mean, I knew who I was. I absolutely knew who I was, but I had no idea who I could be. Is this what life can be like for the next fifty or sixty years? You know, like hell yeah, this is amazing. This is absolutely amazing. And I watched it happen over and over and over with everyone who was on that trip. Coming up, Gabrielle's future plans for seeing even more of Africa and what it meant to experience parts of this trip without a film crew, simply documenting the group's experiences on her phone. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, host of Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. 
This week, with the help of Dan Adler and Olivia Nuzzi, we're going inside the media circus swirling around Donald Trump's criminal trial. People want coverage of Donald Trump. There are sort of shades of 2015, 2016. I found it to be a, a total break from the reaction to a lot of Trump coverage in the last two years. Join me, Brian Stelter, on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Listen wherever you get podcasts. We're coming back from a safari, right, in, in Namibia. We're driving in, you know, back to, you know, our lodge. And we are met literally on the road by a member of, you know, a, a Himba community. And they just invited us over, like, the neighbors that we were to come hang out and meet everyone. And we didn't have, you know, the big camera crew. It's like whatever you see is just what we had on our phones or uh, someone had on their fancy camera. But um, we didn't have, like, a crew or anybody. No, it was mic'd. Um, it, was, it was just a random experience that we were open to. And then after that, we were like, well, shit, let's let's meet our other neighbors. Who else is that? Like, let's, you know, let's be open to all of the experiences and the these amazing conversations that we probably would have never had, A, if we had a camera crew going through everywhere, because then it becomes something else. So having an organic, real exchange, God, it was just, it was beautiful. So this is really interesting that you say that because you suddenly become a different type of traveler if you have a camera crew around you. Mm -hmm. How much was that present during the travels or really was a lot of it more lo-fi, you as a group capturing stuff on your phones or on the fancy camera that someone remembered to bring? Yeah, well, I mean, in a sense, I felt open to saying yes to things that I might have said no to because I know that I'm representing more than myself. I'm about to go on an experience that a lot of people are going to see and maybe get out of my own way, lady, and be open to something that might have scared you. Because as things are revealed to you, they're also going to be revealed to the audience. And there is something really beautiful about that. But then there's something that's kind of intrusive about, like, you know, showing up with this whole movement, <laughs> you know, of, of people. And Namibia and parts of South Africa was was just really us and our phones. And uh, one of our friends who is a, a professional photographer, not exactly a videographer, but he became one, you know, <laughs> you know, for those more intimate experiences. Um, and not everything that we shot is meant to be shared with everybody. So there are plenty of memories that are just for us. And maybe one day we will share those. It allowed us kind of the best of both worlds, especially as we were moving through spaces where there was a lot of education taking place. So it's like Ghana. It allowed us to be able to hear better. Sometimes when you show up with a camera crew, people tend to quiet down. And so I, we were able to hear probably more and get the full message than had we just been on a tour and everybody's sort of talking at once. So there were pros and cons to it, but I definitely probably am more in the future more of a smaller, just camera phone. It feels more intimate. It feels more um, personal, you know, and it doesn't put everyone off around you. How do you think that the trip helped you get to know yourself better and I guess gave you a new sense of purpose as you look ahead into this new decade? What is the purpose of the next 10 years for you? Oh, I, I, I'm looking the next 50 or 60. My great-grandmother lived to be 110. Um, she was actually on uh, Donahue back in the day on a show about centurions. Um, so I know what it is to live a long time and to live well. 
um, that is what I'm I'm looking for. I know the next 50 or 60 is just even more a self-exploration and openness to to evolve constantly. I don't want to reach a destination of personal fulfillment or growth. I want to constantly be evolving and changing. And I want to embrace every pivot. I don't want to be nervous about pivots. I want to embrace every pivot, like dive in. Because the most beautiful and amazing things happen when we dive into the pivot instead of fighting against it. Um, But it also, like we did African ancestry before we went. And, um, you know, so I am Hausa and Fulani, the largest percentages of my African ancestry. And um, my husband also has uh, the bulk of majority Nigerian ancestry. So it's just inspired us to want to go back um, and go to Nigeria and meet our people, probably without a camera crew. <laughs> you know, you so don't need it every time, right? <laughs> I, I am not a reality girl. <laughs> not That is not my ministry. But I cannot wait to meet my people. I can't wait to find more specificity in terms of home. Like we knew it was West Africa. And now I want to be even more specific. Everyone's like, oh, you're going to go back for your 51st. But we were just in Egypt last month. Like you cannot keep us away. Like we're we're addicted now. And um, yeah, the more the more we learn, the more we want to return and we want to bring even more people. So that's the goal. Let's bring everybody along. That sounds like a pretty good map to living well, as you put it. Gabrielle, thank you so much for chatting with me about your travels through the continent of Africa and how the docuseries came to be. It is a true joy to watch, and I hope it inspires lots of people to start planning their own trips to Africa and traveling around the continent and to look into their own heritage as well. A lot of the trauma that I have accumulated over my life. I had gotten divorced, I was raped at gunpoint, and I was struggling with my fertility. And I had been disassociating. That was all weighing heavily on my spirit. I knew I couldn't sustain living in that way. So I've always looked to the continent of Africa as the source of all things, including joy, including light, including levity. And I thought that the closer I got to self, I knew my joy and my peace couldn't be far behind. We didn't have time to talk about Kavia's fascination with the lion she spotted on safari, their nights out in Cape Town, or Gabrielle's actual birthday dinner in Tanzania. But you can see it all in Gabrielle Union, My Journey to 50 which premiered on BET Plus on June 15th. Thank you to BET for the clips. Next week, we consider what makes a national dish. The answers may surprise you. We talk to James Beard Award winner for food writing, Anya von Bremsen, who visited France, Italy, Japan, Spain, Mexico and Turkey for her new book, National Dish, around the world in search of food, history, and the meaning of home. See you then. I'm Lale Arakoglu, and you can find me on Instagram at Lale Hanna. Our engineers are Jake Loomis and Gabe Kuroga. The show's mixed by Amar Lal. Duke Kampfner from Corporation for Independent Media is our producer. 
Hi, I'm Deborah Treisman, fiction editor of The New Yorker and host of The New Yorker Fiction Podcast. On the podcast, I ask a great contemporary writer to select a favorite story from the magazine's almost 100-year archive to read and discuss. Together, we delve into the story, exploring its themes, its style, and what makes fiction work. You can listen to authors like Otessa Moshveg talk about why we write. Story, or attaching a story or creating a story, is this inclination that we all have to stop spinning. And you can hear writers like George Saunders discuss the nature of storytelling. On the first read, you accept these things as descriptions, and they make you see the scene. But every line is a chance to inflect the reader's mind. You'll discover new favorite authors and read old favorites in new ways. Episodes of the New Yorker Fiction Podcast are released on the first of every month. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth.